So, Paulette, let's do a patron-only episode in which we do random stuff like emails and tougher bluffs and other random stuff. What do you say? Sounds great. Welcome to the Psychology in Seattle podcast. I'm your loyal host, Dr. Kirk Honda. I am chair of the Couple and Family Therapy Program at Antioch University, Seattle, and I'm also a licensed marriage and family therapist. My name is Paulette Perhatch. I am a writer in Seattle, and I was recently in Mexico, and it was the best thing ever. Really? Yes. How so? It was so fun to speak Spanish again. Yeah. I loved it. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. And eat octopus tacos. Octopus tacos. That sounds dirty. O- Octo tacos. Octo taco. And go scuba diving, which is a miracle. Yeah. That I highly recommend to every human alive. Yeah. Were you dressed up in your in your dress bathing My swim suit? Dress. <laughs> swim dress. Uh, I wore the tankini for that day. <laughs> <laughs> this episode is just for patrons of the podcast. So if you're listening to this and you're not a patron of the podcast, this episode will end before the content begins. If you want to hear the full episode, you have to become a patron of the podcast by going to patreon.com. That's patreon.com. We are very close to getting 100 patrons. We have 98 patrons, and our newest patrons are patron Craig, patron Cat. We have a patron named Cat, which is great. <laughs> a, patron, a patron named Sarah and Edna and Marshall and Amy and Visage, someone named Visage, and someone named Sherry and Tina and Pete. So th- thank you so much for becoming patrons, people. You guys are rad. We love you so much. Welcome to the patron zone, people. Let's, uh, I thought I would read an email. What do you say, Paulette? Is this, it from a patron? It is from someone anonymous. Let's see. I can't tell if it's from a patron. I think it is. I could relate to much of what Paulette spoke about as I was an independent single female, just like her, until relatively recently. I don't know what she was talking about. I think about sexism or I, something. We were talking about, I think she was talking about me being sexually harassed at the Shell station. Right. However, now that I am a married woman with children, I find that I have hit a brick wall with my feminist ideals. That brick wall is my husband. Mm. (laughs) I am married to a man raised in another country from another SES, socioeconomic status, and with a lower education level who I can't seem to enlighten on the topic of feminism. God bless your heart. Anyway, perhaps this is hopeless and akin to your combating the internet trolls. However, I am wondering if you might do another episode on feminism, but maybe this time you could bring it down a few levels and really just cover the basics. A few topics that we butt heads on. This is her and her husband. My right to not be groped and humped at will, even by my husband. What do you think about that one? (laughs) Um, So I'm just learning not to poke my boyfriend in the butt when he walks up the stairs in front of me. So I might not be the best person to ask. I just, when he's walking up the stairs, I just want to poke his butt, you know, (laughs) and he had to be like, stop. Um, you know, in Japan, they call that concho. There's oh, a whole thing. Yeah. Concho. Boop, yeah. Boop, 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 yep. boop, boop. Um, I first want to say that I have dated across cultures and holy hell, that was so much harder than I thought it would be. I mean, your culture is, your culture is what you think the world is. And then you come up and someone else thinks the world is this other thing. And you're like, no, you are wrong. And it is so hard. So bless your heart. Um, just have you ever had a boyfriend that groped you in a way that you didn't like? No, I was okay with that. I mean, I think the thing is You're pro groping. I'm not pro. I'm pro whatever someone wants you to do. And if someone's not into what you're doing, then I think that it's a matter of respect that you're like, I'm not just a thing. I'm not just a body. I'm a person in here. And it makes me uncomfortable when you come up and just start touching me in a way that I don't want to be touched. Yeah, so, I think that that's... So you haven't experienced that before? No, not in that way. Have you been with someone that was very gropey? I'm very gropey. So you're I'm the gropey like, one. <laughs> yeah, okay. But, you know, we might say men are more likely to be that way, right? But I do not poke my boyfriend in the butt now, going up the stairs. But it's hard to resist But it's hard, but I worked on that for him. What about... So, this is, so another topic that they butt heads on, as she says... The long list of household chores and childcare responsibilities that seem to be mine and keep me busy morning until night. What do you think about that one? Oh, that's really tough too because, yeah, it's just in other cultures, it's just like, yeah, that's what women do. 
And the fact that you would even question that. And it, I think that the number one thing is that it would make the man look weak or take away from his masculinity if he did some of that for you. Mm. Like my boyfriend, I'm really bad at housekeeping. And my boyfriend in Paraguay <laughs> used to sweep the house to the door. And then he would say, will you open the door and sweep this pile of dirt outside? And I was like, because you don't want you don't want anyone to see you doing it, right? And he was like, yeah, <laughs> you know? That is so bizarre. But I mean, I, okay, but, I, but, but that's your, you have to understand that that is your view totally. of your culture. So totally. even the word bizarre is from your culture looking yeah. at another. It's completely normal. And I'm old enough to remember our society being very much that way. You know, yeah. it's only been in the last, I would say, 10, 20 years that that would feel bizarre to me. But in the past and around the United States, it's still this way that, that but it's just so foreign to me, I guess, you know. So, yeah. Uh, well, how can she convince him that, uh, you know, that's not fair? This is probably the worst one of all. And I've seen couples break up over this sort of thing. If both people are working, but yet the woman is responsible for all the household chores. Oh, yeah, that's bull. Does she say if she's working or not? She didn't, but either way, she likely feels unfairly worked. Do you know what I mean? Okay, so this is... This is something that makes me feel a little bit like, "Eh, should I do that? Should I feel guilty about this? But in my house, my house was really messy when I was growing up and cleaning was like a big point of contention around with everyone, with between us kids and between my parents. And I just refused to even argue about it in my house. So you know what? We pay for cleaners to come once a month. Yeah. I would rather. Why do you feel guilty? Um, maybe for those reasons that I feel like I, I should love mopping the floor or that that's, that I'm being lazy, but I'm like, I would much rather do four hours of graphic design or four hours of project management or whatever I do for money. Sorry, that makes it sound like it could be like hand jobbing or something. It's just four hours of the work that I enjoy to pay someone to do that because I freaking hate it. And I don't know. I think, I think that maybe like making a list of, okay, these are my chores. This takes me this long. This takes me this long. So it's like a number of hours. And then you can add that up and you can say, see how many hours I'm putting in to our life and see how many hours you're putting in. Right. But he might never say, he might never be willing to mop the floor. So then you say, well, if you're not willing to do it, I would like to request that we get a housekeeper that comes every two weeks or a housekeeper that comes every month, if you can afford it. That's a hard thing because a lot of people can, especially if you have kids. It's really expensive. Right. Yeah. I have had countless conversations with couples on this very issue. It is one of the primary reasons that couples will actually divorce. Whoa, that's interesting. Yeah, because it's complete crap, right? When you feel that you're not getting a fair shake and you're spending all your time cleaning up someone else's crap and they're not pulling their weight, you know, that can take quite a toll on your love for somebody. And I have had long conversations with men on this issue, and I've, I've, I've and we've done that thing. We've like made a list and said, okay, let's make. It. How long does this take? Because in their mind, here's the thing: when I see men in this situation, I'll ask them, "So, do you think you do half of the chores?" And he'll kind of go, "Uh, yeah, I probably do about half." And then I ask the woman, I say, "So, do you do about half?" And she'll like, "No fucking way! I do ninety five percent of the work." So that tells you something. He isn't there when she's doing all the work. There was just an article out that said, like, men do more work on the house, but not as much as they think. Right. Another thing that men will, say, will tell me is they'll be like, yeah, I help out sometimes. And I'm like, you help sometimes? And, you know, if I asked her, so what child rearing, like, how do you approach it? Oh, yeah, I help out sometimes. Can you imagine a woman saying that about chores or child rearing? She would never say, yeah, I help sometimes. <laughs> yeah. It doesn't make any sense. It's your responsibility. Now, having said that, this doesn't mean that men have to do half of every chore or women have to do half of every chore. It just means that there needs to be fairness. So if the man is super into the car thing and he wants to do all the car chores, mm-hmm. then great. And if the woman wants to do all the cooking, then great. But there has, but they, there has to be equality. They have to feel as though they're, they're both putting in the amount of work. Now, it gets a little complicated 
when the man or woman or one of the people are working full time while the other person is staying home. Yeah. Like I remember saying that I would never do a man's laundry, but like my boyfriend and I are trying to figure it out because he has a really hard job and I am really trying to make it as an artist. So it's like, okay, what if, you know, we've talked about like, what if I just stayed home and I, and then I would be like, yeah, I'll do your laundry. Like, I feel like if I stayed home and didn't make any of the money, then I would do that. Because it's yeah. there's there's a cost in money and there's a cost in time. Right. And I feel like if you can't handle any of the costs money wise, then you're gonna handle more of the costs time wise. Like right. dinner so, costs an hour of prep and cooking and everything. You're gonna do that. Right. And everyone has a different gauge of what's fair and this sort of thing. And you just have to talk about that. But I have had so many fruitless conversations with men on this issue. I, I remember one guy in particular, and because and this was the central issue, and they were going to break up if she was going to divorce him. If he was, and they had been to therapy before, actually, and they said, we still haven't seen any. He, hasn't, he still hasn't done anything. And I talked with him for a long time, and he just, and he's like, yeah, I guess I can see it. Okay, I'll try. And then next week, she's like, nope, he hasn't done a single thing. And I looked at him, and he's like, well, I don't know. I just didn't have the time to do it, or I don't know. He always just had these reasons, and I was just looking at him like, what's wrong with you? You know what I mean? Like, Yeah, just wake up. Wake the F up. And to me, it's like, ah, uh, you know, and and um, I don't know. I, I'm just a very, I'm very sensitive to unfairness. I'm very sensitive mm-hmm. when people are treated unfairly. And this is just right up that alley. And so, so I don't know what to say. I mean, what your suggestion and what I do with clients is just something to do. It's just like map out all the chores and actually, because some men will say, well, I do the car stuff and I do the big stuff, you know? And it's like when you actually map out the actual hours you need to spend yeah. on that per, per month, it's actually not much. Whereas, you know, feeding the baby, diapering the baby, vacuuming and cooking and cleaning and going to the grocery store. Like that's an everyday occurrence. And some men just don't know what's all involved in that. You know, it's so hard. And there's some things where I think it's like, like every time we have guests, they have their sheets and we have a guest bedroom and we got, we happen to get this apartment in this neighborhood that people tend to visit. And so we have a lot of visitors and I don't, I realize like, I don't think my boyfriend knows that every time someone spends the night, I'm the one washing the sheets, you know, like, he doesn't think about the rug in the kitchen getting washed or, you know, there's like a lot of chores like that. Yeah. So I think it's hard for them to estimate what it is. Yeah. And I think also knowing like what's your least favorite thing to do and what don't you mind that much, you know? Yeah. And starting there. And probably all of this is based on your ability to really communicate and understand each other and trust each other. If you're telling him, honey, my life is ruined by the fact that you won't do chores. My, I'm slowly descending into madness, <laughs> and I am, and I'm quite sad, and I, and my feelings are hurt. I was always taught the when you blank, I feel blank because blank. Yeah, when you're a dick, I get really <laughs> pissed off because you're, you're a dick. dick. Um, when and, you make me do all the chores, I feel like a slave because it seems like you don't care. Right. And if he's a normal human being, which it sounds like he probably is, then he'll have empathy and he'll turn it around. So there must be something in the way of that communication. Either- I just feel like when if he saw his own mother doing that all his life without complaining, without, and I say like quote complaining, you know, without standing up for herself, really, you know, he thinks that that's what women should just do probably. Totally. But I've worked with cross-cultural couples, biracial couples before along these lines. And I've seen men from other societies change their ways. For what, one... What for, was your secret? Um, it's not my secret. It's their secret. Men, like anyone else, can f- be flexible. <laughs> you know, they have to realize, oh, I'm an American now. I've, I've, I've married an American white girl they knew what they were getting into. Yeah. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? They weren't looking for a traditional marriage to start with in terms of where they came from. And so they will adjust. And the key is to be assertive, to have a strong relationship, and to keep communicating and know that you deserve to be treated fairly. But it might take time. And just, you know... Whenever he wants to have sex, you can be like, oh, I'm just so tired from all the chores I had to do today. Yeah. 
That is actually, are you being serious? Because that's actually something I would, I mean, it's an actual technique that I use. Not, oh, really? Oh, yeah, absolutely. With holding sex? Well, no, it's it, the way I like to, I, I'm a half full kind of guy. <laughs> it's a, it's a, how, imagine how much sex we would have if, if I was in a good mood and I loved you more than I do when I I mean, don't. you don't want to have sex with someone you're mad at. Right. And you don't want to have sex when you're completely overworked. Yeah. And so to entice the male who she actually mentions in her email that he wants sex more than she does, you can say, look, if if you want more sex, right? Okay, well, here's the payoff, you know, is there's nothing more sexy than changing a diaper on the baby for for the mom, right? Yeah, it's hot. All right, tougher bluff. Men feel more threatened by female hiring managers than male ones and act more subservient toward them. So this is kind of a two-parter. So both parts have to be tough or bluff. I think it's bluff. Why? Um, I think there's less respect for women. It's bluff. You're right. But the reason is, is that men feel, men actually do feel more threatened by female hiring managers than male ones, but they act more assertive towards them. So when a male is applying for a job and there's a female hiring manager, he will feel more threatened, which is interesting. Well, threatened is, what did you say? Threatened. You said threatened? And then as a result, he acts more assertive with her. Oh, okay. Which is kind of interesting. Uh, Tougher bluff. In general, parents of 11-year-olds accurately estimate their child's happiness. Tougher bluff. In general, parents of 11-year-olds accurately estimate their child's happiness. Tough. It's bluff. Damn it. Do you think they overestimated or underestimated? Over. They, what did they do? Yes, they overestimated. They thought their children were happier than they actually were. That's interesting, right? Same study from Plymouth University. In general, parents of 16-year-olds underestimate their child's happiness, their teen's happiness. So in general, parents of 16-year-olds underestimate their teen's happiness. I'm going to say tough because around your parents when you're 16, you always seem pissed and unhappy, but when you're on your friends, you're fine. You're right. Tough. Probably just for that reason. When you're around your parents, you're quiet. And so parents will think you're depressed and you're miserable. But as soon as you're around your friends, you're, you're Mr. Joy Joy. (laughs) So funny. Yeah. All right. Let's get to another email here. Uh, crap Obear two one three twenty three on on YouTube wrote Hello Doctor Honda love your videos and love your voice just a question though I've come across an article dismissing schizophrenia as a mental illness and was actually I think I need to do this on a different episode so I'm going to skip that one Let's see Aaron listener Aaron wrote in Thanks for doing almost a whole video on my previous comments. Uh, let's see. I think I'll skip that one too. I'll do that another time. Uh, okay. Here's one. Patron winter. She wrote in, she writes, hi, Dr. Han Rose city beat Gotham. So I did an episode on, and I actually haven't published it yet, but it might be published by the time this one comes out in which I was on a podcast called Derby face. It's mm-hmm. a roller derby podcast in, I think Minnesota. And, the whole talk was about overdogs and underdogs and how there's a team in New York called Gotham and th- they dominate all the time and everyone always boos them all the time <laughs> because they win all the time. And so she wrote in and she said, Rose City beat Gotham. So Gotham, the, the mighty have fallen. It was amazing, even though I was cheering for Gotham. They definitely tried their hardest to win, but, but seemed relieved. So they seemed relieved that... Have you ever been overdog, underdog situation? Um, yeah, I mean, kind of I feel like everyone has in their life. At some were you point. an overdog when you were in Paraguay? Uh, oh God, it was so weird. Cause in so many ways I was an overdog, but in so many other ways I was an underdog. Yeah, it's pretty rough. She also goes on to say, my husband reminded me that his therapist mentioned your podcast during a session a few months ago. <laughs> that sounds- I'm just trying to imagine how that would come it's up. It's just what therapists are doing now. Uh, I'm going to play you something that Kirk Honda said, and uh, I'm going to leave the room for a few minutes to go smoke a cigarette. <laughs> so again, that's Winter, patron Winter of Derbyface, which you can find at derbyface.com. It's a wonderful podcast about roller derby. Let's see who else here. Anonymous patron writing again, this person says. 
I had listened to the dream analysis episode right after the sexual object- objectification video, and I noticed there was a related theme in Paulette's recounting of her unpleasant experience at the gas station. <laughs> Just a few comments about catcalling. I would like to take the traditional line that it is a terrible, terrible way to hit on anyone, and it will never work. But I know from testimonies of people who live in rough neighborhoods and from personal witness that there are urban cultures where, for some women, catcalling is an acceptable way to strike up an interaction. What do you think about that, Paula? I don't know. I can't see it from someone else's culture's point of view. You know, I don't know. I think that there are definitely cultures where that is how conversation gets started, how the women feel about it in those cultures. I'm not sure. You know, you. I want to say it's, I don't know. To me, it's all about empathy. If you were in a situation and you gauged the situation correctly and you catcalled a woman on the street or a man, you know, whatever, and the person appreciated it, then you rolled the dice and you won. You you did something you felt like doing. The other person actually enjoyed it and win-win. But, I mean, but some when guys you're on- have said things to me on the street that made me smile. One guy said, the last guy who, said, who hit on me said, I think you're pretty, but I'm too high to tell you. <laughs> that was hilarious. <laughs> so what was it about him that you enjoyed and the gas station you did not enjoy? Oh, the other guy was like leering at me. So the way he did it. Yeah. Was well, the, was was like the a- high guy cute and, um, and young? Yeah, he was cute. And was the gas station guy cute? No. So and he was older. We're getting into some nuances here. That's true. So if you're young and cute, cat call away. Well, there's a lot of things where if you say it and you're cute, it comes out a lot differently than if you're not in my generation Wheel, and wheelhouse. I don't find you attractive, sadly. Yeah. Not hmm. in my wheelhouse. Well, it's interesting, right? Now, now, what a lot of men will say to that, and I've heard them, they will say, well, that's bullshit. You have a double standard. You, Paulette, as a woman, ha- mm-hmm. are typical in that typical. it's a double standard in which if you like it, then it's okay. But if you're not attracted to him, then it's not okay. That's a double standard. That's crap. What do you think about that? Um, I don't know. It might be true. And they say it with that inflection. With that inflection. <laughs> um, oh, God. I don't know. Life's not fair. <laughs> well, what I think is, yeah, life isn't fair to some extent. But I mean, the, I still didn't go out with that other guy. But to me, it's all based on when, when men have that criticism of, of women in that way, it's based on this idea of, well, if you're going to let a young, cute guy catcall you and that's cool with you, then you have to let me catcall you even when you don't want me but to. But it's like I, if I have sex with my boyfriend, doesn't mean I'm allowed to have, I have to have sex with you because exactly. I have sex with somebody. Exactly. It comes from a place of entitlement from the men. To say to someone, look, you let someone else do it, therefore you must let me. The world is, the women aren't little democratic machines. You know what I mean? They don't, they don't let everyone do everything to them. You know what I mean? It doesn't make any sense. It doesn't work that way. If, if you come across as creepy or you're not in that person's category, well, let me put it to you this way. The gas station guy, right? He's an immigrant, one, and he's older and he's not cute now to you, right? But if he were to catcall someone from his country in America that was his age in a way that he could intuit that she might enjoy, then the chances are higher that it's going to be, it's going to go well, right? Mm Mm-hmm. So it's not a matter of fairness or something. It's a matter of using empathy and also not coming from an entitled titled place. Having said that, sexuality is weird. And you, you, you could say a lot of things are unfair about sexuality, you know? There was also just the guy leaning against the bus station with his penis out as I walked by one day. And you were like, was he young and cute? Uh, no, he was not. I what, was did he like, say, I'm too high to put my penis back in my pants? No. I was like, mm, what's your name? And that's my boyfriend. No, I'm just kidding. I was like, you're disgusting. I yelled at him. You said that? Yes. Was I was it, mad. Was it flaccid? Because that's the big... Oh, yeah. The, it was flaccid. Just just hanging out there. Just hanging out. Was, and he was like leaning up against the wall. Like, do, 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 do. Just hanging out. Just hanging out. Just waiting for someone to notice. It was like when, you're, when your friends brain you, only... Yeah. You're just like, you're not my friend. I have no desire to see your penis. I don't have a desire to see my friend's balls either, but it ten- it ha- can happen sometimes. Was it a prank? Like someone... No, it was definitely... And then he like fled. He had this long coat on. He had a flasher coat on, but it 
he had never bothered to like close it. It was just like first person who notices wins. <laughs> <laughs> Did he give you a prize? <laughs> no, he just ran away and I really hated it. And it's so funny because every time I see that bus stop now, I'm like, <sighs> here, have this banana. You win have this banana. Well, yeah, it's a sexual assault. I mean, we're joking about it, but it's if, if taken the way it often is taken, it's a sexual assault. Someone is assaulting you with their vision. You know what I mean? They're assaulting <laughs> yeah. your eyes. I mean, it's hard to put it in the same category as being raped, you know? But like, it's in that direction. Yeah, it's definitely not okay. And yeah, it is a kind of assault and because in the you, sexual category, but I don't know, calling it sexual assault. Well, because the, the thing that people often say is just like, well, what's the big deal? You just saw a penis. But everything is based on intention and relationship. Yeah. You know that that person is trying to to assault you. you. If you saw a penis on a, in a magazine, right, and you're just flipping through and it's a magazine that might have a penis. It's one in of it. my Playgirls that yeah. I order every month. It, you then the, it's a consensual penis viewing. Yeah, if I go to like the Fremont Naked Bike Race and yeah. see 10 penises, then I'm like, well, that, I chose to be in this time and place where wieners are about. You're going to see way more um, than 10 penises, by the way. <laughs> it's, I think they're literally... Thousands of people that... Thousands of penises? Thou, well, th- half of the thousands are, are peni. <laughs> and so um, so that's consensual. But if someone's at the bus stop, then you know that they are actually trying... They get off on you seeing their penis when you don't want to see yeah, their Yeah, like penis. that guy went home and whacked off right. about that, about me yelling at him that he is disgusting. Right. So when that happens, even though it's the same, you know, I don't know, the same... The same penis. The same vision on the back of your eyeball, right? <laughs> it's a completely different relational experience and therefore feels much differently to you, right? Mm-hmm. And so, right. So if your friend did it to you, it'd be like, ha-ha. Or if your boyfriend did it, ha-ha. Or the playboy, playboy you did it, you'd be like, ha-ha. But with, <laughs> but with a guy at the bus stop, it's actually assaultive. And, and it, what it does is it makes us feel unsafe. It makes us feel like, okay, well, if that guy's capable of doing that, what else is he capable of doing? And what else is someone else capable of doing to me? Yeah, I really hated it. I did not like that at all. Yeah, that's interesting. I haven't heard of reports of that in Seattle very often. I hear about it in other cultures more often. I felt very dirty and just like frown afterward. My yeah. whole life was like frown. Yeah. If you could go back and do it over again, what, what would you do? I think probably the same thing. I mean, may, if I thought that I could have called 911 and had them come yeah. without him realizing that I had even seen that or before he ran away. What if you took a picture and then showed yeah. the cops or something? I would not want to take what a if picture. You, what if you took guys. a picture and, and public shamed him? That's weird, too. I don't know. I mean, maybe he's mentally ill as well, you know, which is kind of hard. But Well, regardless, it's illegal and assaultive. Yeah, it's assaultive. That's assaultive. To me, I've, I wish all these people would be, I don't know, because what they do is they get away with it because mm-hmm. everyone's like you. It's just like, oh, it's just kind of, you know, if he actually yeah. tried to touch you, it'd be different. It's just on that line and they know where that line is. And yeah. to me, these people need to be put down. They need to be like... Murdered. No, they need to be stopped. <laughs> <laughs> and and there's, there's, you know, what do you do in a situation like that? If you call the cops, you're like, oh, he was an average guy with his penis out. You know, the cops aren't going to do anything. But if you, if you, so here's my suggestion is one, kick him in the nuts. That's, that'll okay. stop it. Two, take a picture of him and, and give it to the police or, or I don't know, perhaps put it on the internet. That's, that could be sort of dangerous sometimes, but that can work. I, I've on Reddit, I see public shamings happen every now and then. And I'm so weird. And I, and I, you know, I have mixed feelings about it, but on one hand, like did you, the guy in Taiwan, there's a recent video of a foreigner was is living in Taiwan. He, and he speaks Chinese well, and he's on a, he's on a subway or something and he's being confronted by some, some local and it's, it's like a 20-minute long video in which the guy is just threatening him and saying, get out of our country, you need to leave our... And just super racist, Weird. horrible, horrible language in Chinese, but yeah. it's all translated. And then the guy uploaded it, or no, the guy gave the video to... Because he made threats. He says, like, I'm going to get you. I'm going to get you. If you don't get out of our country, like me and my friends, we're going to get you. He gave the video to the police. Police didn't do anything. A few weeks later, he ups, he uploads it to YouTube. It becomes a viral video, and now the police have arrested him. Wow! 
And now the guy, you know, he's put in his place. And now everyone else who was capable of such behavior is now like, holy crap, like yeah. that this could happen to me. It's really interesting. Just yesterday, I was doing some research. I'm writing a scene in which one of the characters takes too much Molly. And so I Google dancing on Molly. She's like the only person. It's kind of an accident. And the person who's with her doesn't want anyone to know that she's on Molly. And so I search dancing on Molly and I find all these videos of people who have taken other people like videos of people at festivals. And I hate that because you want to feel when you're at a festival, like, Oh, I'm so free from my life. But if you could be recorded at any time and then shamed yeah. for just like, well, that's different because you're just dancing. You're not doing anything. Bad totally. To yeah, that's true. But I mean, that is a kind of cameras are a very interesting tool, especially with like, uh, you know, abuse of African-American citizens by the police. Right. I mean, it's been crazy where like right. white people are just like, holy shit. Right. And Africans, Ameri- African-Americans are like, yeah, guess to- what? This is the shit we know every day. Yeah. To me, it's it's the responsibility of the person uploading it that they think before they upload. I mean, that's but that's the and it's the responsibility <laughs> of us as the audience to not click on things like when Jennifer Lawrence's phone gets hacked yeah. and someone illegally steals phone pictures of her self naked on the phone and and then publishes them on the internet this is terrible illegal i mean it's akin to breaking into someone's house rummaging through their shit taking picture naked pictures and then scanning them and putting them there it's it's exactly the same thing yeah and then it's our so so that's terrible but then it's our responsibility as the public to not view such things so there was this i just read the sherman alexi's first book which is amazing his first book of short stories and he has a line in there that says uh i'm going to paraphrase it as i remember it but when you watch something you become a part of it and I thought that was so interesting Interesting because I've had so much shame about watching Tosh.0. It's so funny, but it's so terrible. And I'm like, oh, this is, I need to stop. And I think I've pretty much stopped now. Listener Brian wrote in and said, I enjoy listening to you and Birdo banter about outside interests. The movie thoughts were great. Thanks for the podcast. I'm a big fan. Listener Brian. Well, you're so welcome. Berto and I did a whole episode on movies, and we started out with one tougher bluff. We're going to do an all episode on tougher bluff. We did one tougher bluff, and then all we did is talk about movies for the rest of the time. That's fun. Um, and you're trying to get tickets to see Star Wars with me on that op- opening day. Yeah. Are there are there tickets left? In there the- are. Yeah. Wow. So uh, people out there, if you want to join us, four ten Sundance on that Friday, the December eighteenth. Come join us if you want. I'm going to be in my Han Solo outfit. So, blam. Blam. Is that nerdy? Is that bad? No, it's not bad. Is it bad? It's not bad. Is it? Is it? Uh, it's not as nerdy as Dungeons and Dragons. How about that? <laughs> uh, let's see another email. Hi, Kirk. I'm a counseling psychologist trained in South Africa. South Africa. Oh, I'm listening to Nelson Mandela's biography right now. Nelson Mandela. He was bad when he was young. Uh, hi, Kirk. I'm a counseling psychologist trained in South Africa, working in private practice in England. D- can you do an English accent? Uh, <laughs> Blimey. <laughs> I love accents and I'm so bad at them. Blimey. So I'm p- Patreon Kim. Oh my God. Stop. I'm a counseling. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> Decided to comment here rather than email as folding laundry while listening, which is particularly pertinent to the feminist podcast from yesterday, funnily enough. Back to juggling. Smiley face regards Patreon Kim. Patron Kim. Uh, well, uh, Patron Kim, what do you think about my spot-on accents? You know what I just learned? I was I was watching Devil's Advocate again. I just love that movie, oh, even God, though... I love that movie. Oh, you do? You like that oh, movie, too? Oh, yeah. Oh, I, I, you know, I would be surprised that anyone likes that movie because it, it seems like the sort of movie people would hate, but you it's like it. It's very creepy. Yeah, I really like it. And Charlize Theron is in that movie. Yeah. And in my head, I was like, I'm pretty sure Charlize Theron isn't American. And then I Wikipedia'd her, and she's actually South African. Oh, wow. And she nails American accent. I mean, you, you would never know. Yeah, it's so crazy. I mean, it's, a, it's amazing. Like, there's not even a hint. Usually, I can, I can sense a hint, you know? Anyway, listener Lois, whom I think is a, is a 
patron. Listener Lois wrote in and says, I must say that I agree with Paulette. Everyone agrees with you. Because I'm just so wise. She says, I would not give the time of day to men with such come-ons. They are so transparent. So I guess she's probably talking about the come-ons you were getting from the gas station next door. You really touched a nerve in the in the women's lives. Because women know how it is. Yeah? Yeah. It's gross. It's like it's never it's never nice to be treated as an object. And different people know what that's like for different reasons. It's a kind of a lack of the humanity when someone sees you as just a thing. Mm. And that can take all different forms. How other forms? I mean, r- racism is a kind of, you know, and I... I in no way am I saying that a guy hitting on me at the Shell station is as severe as racism, you know? What are you talking about? It's, it's extremely severe. It's terrible. Well, I mean, I'm not getting shot by a police officer, you well, know? yes, you're not being shot like by a police officer. Like, my physical safety. But, I mean, you know, women are raped, you know? Right. Did you know that? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> um, yeah, well, yeah. The, the example that pops into my head about race and me is when I was... A kid, I worked as a landscaper. I was like a junior landscape. I just mowed lawns and weeded and this kind of stuff at a an old folks home complex. It was like a bunch of condos uh, by in in Sammamish where I grew up. And I was young. I was I don't know like fifteen or sixteen. And I remember I was earning six dollars an hour, which was like so twi- exciting twice the <laughs> the uh, minimum wage. I was just rolling in dough uh, and. One woman noticed me and our team. It was like a team of like eight landscapers just doing all this various work outside. And she comes up to our to our lead guy and says, I want to hire that guy, meaning me. I want to hire that guy to be my ongoing gardener forever. I want him to garden, you know, I'm going to pay, I want to contract him specifically. And I'm like, okay, one, I'm the new guy. I'm the young guy. I have no idea what I'm doing. Why is this woman choosing me? To be the gardener. You were such a sexy fifteen-year-old. Why do you? I mean, why do you think? Why do you think she chose me? Just, I'm, I'm curious. If you, I have no idea. Yeah, the, the reason why you don't have any idea, but our older listeners probably do have an idea, is because back in the day, before our time, Japanese people were mainly gardeners in America. Did you know that? Mm-mm. Yeah. So people who grew up in the fifties and sixties. When they thought of it, it's sort of like when you think of a gardener today, you think of a Mexican, right? Or if you think of a, a someone who works in a kitchen, you think of a Hispanic person. Or if you think of a basketball player, you think of a black guy. <laughs> well, back in the day, when you thought of gardeners, you thought of Japanese people, which is bizarre because today that's totally not the case. When you think of someone drinking a pumpkin pumpkin spice latte, you think of a 30s-year-old white woman. Yeah, and her boyfriend <laughs> sharing a beer. <laughs> And so she hired me purely because I looked Asian. She she had yeah. no way of knowing I was even Japanese. And I'm only half Japanese and I'm fourth generation. So it's like, and I don't know anything about gardening. <laughs> yeah. And she hired me based on that, on that thing. And I remember just feeling objectified. I remember thinking like, so just because of my slanty eyes, like that, that's, you just, but it was like something good happened to you because of that, which is so weird. It reminds me of kind of one of my worst stories about Paraguay where I, this bus pulls up and it's one of the long distance bus buses. And like, you just hope you don't have to stand. And I get on the bus and everyone's standing. There's like sweaty moms with babies and a toddler and everyone's just kind of miserable. There's just, there's a misery inside of a third world bus that, you know, you don't find other places and there's the bus driver and then there's his attendant. And when I get on the bus, the attendant stands up and offers me his seat. Like right in front of me is this woman like holding two babies. And I'm like, well, this isn't fair. But I sure as hell don't want to stand for two hours. I'm like, oh, this is so fucked up, but I'm going to sit here. <laughs> like, a better version of myself would have been like, I will take this seat for her and let her sit. But He probably would have taken it back. And then he would have been like, well, no, fuck you. You get, I don't know. So it was, it was like the easiest thing to do was also the worst thing to do. But I'm lazy, so I did the worst thing and just sat there and felt like a piece of shit man blonde <laughs> blonde white women just get it all it's like everything just comes your way oh god 
You get you Except get that extra thirty percent of our salaries. You get the penises. You get the oh, seats. all the penises. Any yeah. penis I want. All right, anonymous person writes in here and says, "I just wondered what you guys think about can men and women be friends?" Question. I really respect you and your opinions, and I'd just like to get your perspective. I think men and women can be friends, but most men on the internet beg to differ, saying that they will be dissatisfied if a woman is just their friend. I think that is stupid, and I try to avoid being told that I can't, and that I'm basically not very valuable to my guy friends if I'm not a potential uh, mate for sex. I don't know. Please discuss. What do you think? That's hard, and I have always wanted to just hang out with the guys. I went sailing the other day, and it was me and... Three other guys, three other guys. Pictures on Facebook or something, right? Yeah. So I just, I feel so much more comfortable around guys because I like to make my gross jokes. I just feel more comfortable, you know? And so I hate that too, but there have been... Is it true that that women and men can't be friends? No, I, I heard someone say that the trick is that all, any opportunity for sexual contact has to be eliminated. So, for example, I really feel like I can be friends with my best friend's husbands, you know. Mm. Um, And I've had, like, exes that I'm friends with. One of my best friends is kind of one of my exes. Yeah. And it's kind of like, oh, we went down that road. We saw the horrible location it led to. And so now we're friends, you know. Yeah. But then also I've had situations where I thought I was just friends with a guy and it got creepy. Because they wanted to have sex with you. Because I snuck into their house at night and... Um, you know, you stuck into their house. I'm just kidding. (laughs) Yeah. Um, yeah. If you feel like, I don't know, God, relationships are so hard. So let's say a guy and you hit it off at work or something and you're joking around and you, you, you're getting along and then he's like, Hey, let's, let's hang out sometime just as friends. I know you have a boyfriend, but let's hang out sometime. I think you'd be a great friend and he's heterosexual and you know that he's single for instance. Yeah. Would you do it? I think I'd want to probably bring my boyfriend along. I wouldn't want to... I mean, it would be a little bit awkward for me to say to my boyfriend, like, oh, I'm just going to go hang out with this guy. Okay. I don't know. Well, let's say you did that. You do that with your Mm -hmm. boyfriend. You and this guy are friends over time. And you become, you know, more and more friendly. Do you think it's possible for you to stay friends without it becoming... Yeah. No, I totally do. I think there can be a danger zone, but there's also the friend zone. What's the danger zone? Danger zone is when you... Start to have feelings for someone that you're friends with. Oh, what do you mean? Like if you're friends you know, with them? If you're friends with someone and then I think there can be a point to which it starts to feel like an emotional affair. Oh, but how would that be different than just being a really good friend with somebody? I don't know. You know Tingling what I mean? in your genitals. <laughs> so if there's lots of talking and intimate talking, but no tingling, then you're just good friends with them. But if there's lots of talking and tingling, then then it's starting to become an emotional affair. Yeah. Interesting. And what do you do in that situation? I don't know. I mean, I think you kind of have to like distance yourself. I don't know. It's so hard. What if he has a little tingling, but he never says anything? And he, what, what if he is like, hey, I really like Paulette. And, you know, we've been friends for two years now. And it's really great. And every once in a while, I get a little attracted to her. But, you know. I, I keep that at bay because I, I don't want to ruin our friendship. Would you still want to be friends with him? If I knew that? Um, if you knew there's a possibility that that might be happening. You know what I mean? Like he doesn't say that it's Yeah, I mean, it's to the point where you don't want to like mess with someone, you know. But I <laughs> have You lead been, them on? You mean lead them yeah, on? Yeah, lead well, them Well, no, on you're not leading him on. He's He knows he's not going to get together with you. But he he he's in his mind, he's like saying, I don't want to ruin our friendship by dating her. But there is a part of me that would like to, you know, yeah. get, get with I her. I mean, friendship is such an important basis for a relationship that it's kind of hard. Because it's like we already have like 40% of a relationship when you're friends, you right. know? Yeah. So that's tough. Yeah. I haven't had that situation too much lately. Really? But you don't know because there could be guy friends that might, you know, say... well i personally think men and women can absolutely be friends i think culturally speaking it's hard sometimes because we're told different things and men are also told like you've got to have sex all the time and you need to have sex whenever you have an opportunity and and when a woman and and some men are quite sexually deprived in their lives and when they're 
very, very thirsty for sex and a woman happens to be a friend, then in my experience, they'll tend to depend on this friend for sex as well. But if a man has sexual satisfaction in appropriate relationships and has female friends, I can absolutely see that working. In fact, I think it's a matter of maturity. I think if the more mature you are, in my experience, the more able you are to have relationships that are non-traditional, I guess. Now, having said that, you commented on like, well, you want to respect your your boyfriend. You don't want to make him jealous or you don't want to create any weirdness and you don't want to lead someone on and this kind of stuff. And so all that all that is important. But the listener who wants to be anonymous says, can men and women be friends? And I say, absolutely, they can be friends. And why not? In our world, as we head toward more nuance around gender, more nuance around stereotypes and roles and what we're capable of, I would imagine that we're going to see men and women become becoming friends more and more often as we move into the future, which I think is just wonderful. This whole idea is just like, oh, men need men friends and women need women friends. And, you know, if, and if men and women, because, and I can't tell you how many times I've heard this exact thing. I was just like, well, if men and women are friends, eventually the man's going to want to have sex with her. Anyone who says that is basically a man who can't control himself or is sexually thirsty or like something it's like it's like really like as a man you can't be friends with a woman like it's just not possible you, you can can't be attra- you can be like i can see it and i could be attracted to this person just don't ever think about them in that way well that and are you constantly thinking about putting your penis in something like some people are ah uh, it's just bizarre to me honestly and if you're like that I don't know. I feel bad for you because there's so many other things in life. I mean, certainly there are penises in putting them in things. Certainly, <laughs> certainly that's a part of life. But there are so many other things that you could be doing with your mind and your soul and your, your life. penis, you could be, you know. Standing at a bus stop. Yeah, just whip it out. <laughs> hey, whip it out. I mean, people are allowed to have strong sex drives. Totally. But I don't know. I if mean, you see everything in your life in the... To you me, can't see beyond sex to a really beautiful friendship. Like I love having talks with guys sometimes. Sometimes I can see that a guy needs to talk to a woman. Yeah. That a guy needs to say, I'm feeling really vulnerable in this way that I cannot talk to another guy about. Yeah. And I really like having that role where I'm like, I am here to listen to that. Right. Exactly. And not judge you in the way a guy might. Now, I'm not saying having a so- strong sex drive, there's something wrong with that. It's, it's not, that's not, I don't ever want to say that. What I, what I want to say is when you have a sexual urge or a sexual notion or some kind of thing. You want to stick your penis in something. Right. When that sort of crosses your mind, have the maturity to know what to do with that. Yeah. If Where to you, stick it. Yeah. If you have that urge, that doesn't dictate, excuse the play on words, that you must do something with your dick. You have power, I assume, to be able to say, oh, well, no, I'm not, that's not a part of the equation right now. It'd be the same as if you're at a, at a show or something and a naked woman walks across the stage and you have this urge to go touch her boob. Like, I, I assume you have the ability to say, don't touch her boob. That's not appropriate given the circumstance. The same is true when you're friends with a woman. If you're very good friends with her and the thought crosses your mind of like, ooh, I, th- I, w- I would imagine that you would have the ability to say, oh, no, I'm not going to have sex with her because she's my friend. I have plenty of other people or one person or something that I could have sex with because that's where I actually feel in my life is best suited for sex. And this person, if I entertain that idea, it will lead to bad things, as I predict, because if we have sex, then we will get romantic, and then we'll probably break up, and then we'll never be friends again. And so, and But having said that, I will say that I also know people who are friends, they do have sex, kind of like with you, with your ex. I mean, I assume you, had, you probably had sex, right? Or are you a virgin? I'm a virgin. Yeah, so you never had sex. But you can have sex with someone and then break up and be friends, which is another point that I want to make, is that... For many of your, in our culture, we tend to say, okay, you break up, you're done. Clean break. Never look back, da 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 right? Mm-hmm. But you were attracted to that person in the first place for a number of reasons. Not only because of their, because their abs and their shoulders, 
but also because of their mind and their soul and the way that they talk and their communication. You're shaking your head. You're only attracted to abs and shoulders and butts. I just keep thinking of Elaine and Jerry on Seinfeld. Right. I love that. Right. There were episodes in which they, didn't they have sex? Oh yeah, they had the rules and everything and they were like trying to have a new different kind of friends with benefits and then they hadn't made their rule where he didn't have to spend the night and George Costanza was like, Oh no, you went too far. Like, <laughs> didn't, didn't uh, Jerry and Elaine used to date? Isn't that the, how they know each other? I, th- <sighs> I don't know. I think so. And then I love when they're having the conversation when they like hook up again, they're like, we've already seen all these parts. Like we know the territory. It's like old news. It's pretty funny. Yeah. Uh, let's do another tougher bluff here. Getting married leads to dramatic reductions in drinking. Getting married leads to dramatic reductions in drinking. Tougher bluff. What do God, you that's hard to say. Because I feel like it leads to a reduction in like going out and partying. But then if you're unhappy in your marriage, you can just sit there by yourself and drink. Yeah. Well, what about you? I mean, you're in a serious relationship. Do you drink less now than you did when you were single? Yeah, I think so. And then my friends, my boyfriend always hates it because whenever I go out without him, I tend to get way more drunk and my friends think it's hilarious. I love drunk Paulette, which she's not with us very much anymore since high school and college. I've never seen drunk Paulette. Oh, it's, it's special. You're coming to my birthday party. Yes. Maybe, maybe maybe we'll see. Um, but I think because I'm there alone and I, I think it can be, uh, a manifestation of my social anxiety that I get so drunk, which is nice to know now before I was just like, why do I always get so drunk? And, um, so it's like when we're together, I feel more kind of comforted and I don't feel like the need to get super wasted. Mm. I don't know. It's hard. When, so you're saying that when you're with your boyfriend and you go out together, you get slightly buzzed, but when you go out without him, you get more drunk because you're more socially anxious because it's like something to do it's like i'm so i'm standing here i'm drinking my drink i'm ordering a drink you're doing something you know you kind of have that constant getting another drink yeah cycle going interesting well it is tough you're right a study at the university of missouri and arizona state university results showed that marriage not only led to reductions in heavy drinking in general but that this effect was much stronger for those who were problem drinkers before getting married oh that's interesting yeah But it makes total sense because of what you're talking about is when you are single, you're in a, you're in, not only are you dating more and which involve a lot of drinking, but you're going out a lot to situations where you don't have someone that that you're secure with. Mm -hmm. And when you're anxious, you're not alone. This research shows when people are socially anxious, they drink a lot more and it can, people who have social anxiety have much higher rates of having alcoholism later on. And, and also, the converse is true. You know, when you become married, you don't need to drink anymore to feel secure. And you don't need to drink anymore to socialize because you trust the person and that person trusts you. And so there's less reasons to, to drink a lot, you know. Plus, I imagine, this is speculating, you have stability in your schedule. You come home, your, your spouse is there, you have your half a beer, and that's it instead of going out and drinking five and I beers. Feel that- I feel like going out and getting drunk is a lot of um, has a lot to do with the courting process and meeting people and right. kind of this social lubrication in order to meet people and hook people up. Right. There are some people that say that if you go on a like a blind date, like a Tinder date or something, or your or any sort of date, that you have to absolutely drink in order for it to go well. Do you think that's true? Uh, uh, no, I think it'll probably go better if you drink a little bit. I don't know. Uh, okay. Listener Ronald writes in and says, Hi, Kirk. How can this friend be helped? She just got promoted, but each time she sets goals, she loses morale and energy to do her work. She likes her job so much, but she's worried about how she feels about her goals and efforts. How do you think this can be helped? Thanks, Ronald. What do you think about that? Do you understand this question? I don't quite understand it. Well, let's take a guess. I, I, I'm, I, I'm assuming he means that at her job, she likes her job, but she'll set a goal like, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get promoted. Okay, I'm going to get promoted. But then she loses morale and she becomes like, ugh, what's the point? I get, like she's pessimistic or something. Yeah. Okay. Well, but she just got promoted. Seems like things are going well. 
Yeah. But, you know, he's listening to her talk. They're friends. Hey. They're friends. Ronald. That sounds like a guy name. I think overall that uh, she should just enjoy where she's at. And the more you enjoy the work you're doing now, the more it'll lead to reaching your goals in the future. Yeah. I would also say, in addition to that, that when I lose morale, I usually try to problem solve it, you know? it might be something that's going on in my mind. Like say someone at work is a, is aggressive with me or something. That might get me down. And I might be like, oh, what's the point? Everything, you know. So I have to, one, in my mind, figure out a way to look at it that's helpful. You know, I might say like, ah, oh, you know, it's just them or, or I'll confront them or da-da-da. The second thing is to talk with other people at work, you know, to say, you know, this thing happened to me yesterday. I just wanted to know what you thought about it. And they might say, oh, it sounds unfair. I'm sorry that happened. And that can be a big morale boost to have other people support you. But there's a line between getting support and just complaining about everybody, Mm -hmm. which can actually end up lowering morale in my experience. If you just sit around with your coworkers and just complain and complain and complain, in my experience, people, their morale quickly plummets. Have you ever experienced that before? Oh, yeah. I really hate complainers. Yeah. But at the same time, if something weird happens at work that's hurtful or something... There's definitely a difference between... Someone venting about a situation. Like, I have a friend who I really love because she almost never complains. And when she was pregnant, she was like, oh, like, can I just vent? Like, this part is so hard and this part's so hard. And then she's immediately just like, sorry. There seems to be a self-awareness there about what you're talking about and saying like, hey, for this segment of time, can I like turn off the like be positive thing because I need to be human for a second and then I'll kind of go back to being pleasant, but I need like a little break. Yeah. Almost asking for that. Just being aware of like, I'm complaining right now rather than being in it, you know, and really believing your complaints. Right. You know, like, I mean, I really try to remember how lucky we are. And so... You know, I definitely complain, but then I'll say like, but, you know, like I bought a house in Florida in 2005 and I sold it for exactly half of what I paid for it. And it really sucked. <laughs> oh god! You know, and I was talking to my mom about it and I was like, but, you know, some people went through World War Two. So, you know, and it's true. Like yeah. so many worse things have happened. And I, so, yeah, I really hate complainers. And I think these should just, you know, you have two. My favorite guru guy says you have two choices in any situation. You can just accept what is if you can't do anything about it or change the situation, leave the situation, do whatever. So like, it's like if you can't change the situation, then you just have to accept that that's the way it is and find something enjoyable about it. Yeah, I agree completely. Maybe the distinction is your emotional state. Like if you're just normal and you're just trumping up stuff to complain about, then that is potentially self-destructive. But if you've just been mildly traumatized by someone at work, then in those situations, I think it's very helpful to quote unquote complain and get support. I mean, I don't think that's complaining. Like complaining is just saying that something was dissatisfying to you, but being like, I need to talk out this situation. I don't know. I can't. What's the distinction? Yeah, but both would perhaps look very similar, you know? Yeah. Oh my God, this woman at work, she blah, 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 blah. Well, I think complaining has a lot to do with labeling. Say, this sucks, that chick's a bitch, you know, things like that. But I would say that when you're venting, that might be a useful sort of temporary space to be in. You know what I mean? You can say, I mean, as a writer, I I have an understanding of like labels and how you never want to say like, she was a bitch. It's like you say what she did or what she's thinking, you know, and let the other person come to their own conclusion. She was being bitchy? No, you just say, (laughs) Cheryl came into my office and said, well, that skirt's ugly. Yeah, that that hey, that your, swim. Hey, dress, your PowerPoint sucks. That swim dress is that swim dress. Is, nice try. Uh, yeah, dowdy. Your the puffy shoulders on that swim dress. <laughs> just How do you know? T- too far. All right, one more email from uh, let's see, Lee Lang, Lee Yang, listener Lee Yang. Women and feminist men are the biggest evil and sexist people out there. Laugh out loud. I went to, oh, this is someone from another country, so their English is a little funny. I went to fast food and I see feminist white knight simp mangina male supervisor or manager. He hire most of his employee is women, laugh out loud. Same for women. Women only hired 
female employee. Also, if you are a beta male, you will know the true nature of women, which is pure evil. What do you think of that? Are, are women pure evil? Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's that's the answer to that question. I have fire shooting out of my vagina. Yeah. And I had to have my horns removed. Am I a feminist white knight simp mangina male? What's a simp? I don't know what a simp is. I think you're definitely a mangina. I don't think you have to say mangina male. I think male is... In the mangina word. That's right. Mangina male is yeah. very redundant. redundant. Yeah. White knight. What does that mean? You can't have a mangina female. Is it K-N-I-G-H-T? Yeah, white knight. Yeah. Yeah. I, maybe mm. that's just like, I don't know, like they're putting down men that are trying to swoop in to save women or something. I don't know. Uh, I guess. But anyway, the answer is yes. You are right, Lee Yang, from wherever you are. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my god! It's true. Women are pure evil. Yes. It, it's right. It's right. And yeah, and I, I'm sure you don't have one in your life. <laughs> the, the only reason why I say that is because I don't want to be labeled as you labeled me a feminist white knight simp mangina male <laughs> because I really want to avoid that. That is just like so. I'm sorry for what I said. Yeah, I'm sorry that I'm pure evil. Yeah, and you're right. Women are are pure pure evil yeah well that does it for another episode of psychology in seattle thanks for joining us out there and please take care of yourself because you deserve it (laughs) goodbye you really do you deserve it you're even though you're mangina you deserve it yeah sorry i'm pure evil